Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Short Term Show. We have Karan Narang, who is here to drop some knowledge on us today. Karan, how are you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? I am doing awesome. Thank you for asking. Thank you for being here. I'm uh, happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So let's start off by just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into real estate investing. Okay. Uh, so... Uh... I, I have a full-time job. I work in uh, pharmaceutical supply chain consulting. And um, I, I have a family with three kids, uh, young kids, seven, seven, and nine, so twins. And uh, live in Dallas, Texas, or a suburb of Dallas. And uh, as far as getting into uh, real estate investing or uh, short-term rentals, um, I started off being a, a, a landlord by default, what they call it, when I moved down to Texas. I rented out my... Uh, primary residence, New Jersey. I actually just sold that this year. And, um, you know, that's how I really got into it. A couple of years after moving to Dallas, you know, I kept uh, trying to find ways, you know, how do I shelter income from taxes and things like that. Real estate came up. I started looking into that. And the more I dug into it, the more interesting it got. And I just ended up uh, doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> awesome. So how, what kind of real estate do you own? What is in your portfolio right now? So at the moment, uh, I have four short-term rentals, uh, two in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, one in one outside of Austin by Lake Travis, um, one in uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. So uh, those are the four short-term rentals. I've got three, three mid-term rentals. There are single-family homes, pretty standard, three, two, five, um, four, two, and uh, they're in a suburb or a couple different suburbs outside of Dallas. Okay, great, great. And so what made you decide to go that short-term or medium-term route rather than like this, the multifamily long-term or single-family long-term? So one of my primary goals was to shelter my income from taxes. Um, I would be considered, I'm not a doctor, but I, I would be considered a high-income earner. And uh, trying to shelter those taxes was a primary goal. I started off looking into real estate as a way to do that and quickly realized that in order for me to shelter it without having the reps status, I would certainly need uh, to invest in short-term rentals and, sh and self-manage them. So that's why I got into the short-term. I kind of pivoted and got into short-term. But at the same time, I kind of felt that, you know, for long-term sustainability and to be able to diversify my portfolio a little bit, I did need to have long-term rentals as well. Um, the only problem with long-term rentals is, you know, you're making a few hundred dollars a month, uh, if that, uh, especially in the Dallas suburbs, which is super hot right now. Uh, so I tried to get a little more creative and ended up uh, getting into this mid-term rental space, which uh, gives me pretty high return. My cash and cash return on those are pretty high compared to what other long-term rentals do. And I had to kind of pivot and get creative with that. So that's why I ended up where I am at the moment. Okay, there's two things that I want to talk about. I want to touch on that you just said. The first thing you said, reps. So real estate professional status. So for those of us who are listening, or not us, those of our listeners who uh, don't know what that is, what is real estate professional status in you know non-CPA terms, in regular sure. people? 
terms? <laughs> uh, pretty straightforward, right? So the IRS defines real estate professional status as, uh, you know, in short, they want to make sure it is your primary occupation. Real estate is your primary occupation, which means uh, you need to spend at least 750 hours of your working time during the year on real estate. And it needs to be more than anything else you're doing. So in a year, typically year, there's 2,080 hours, which means if you're going to spend 750 on real estate, you have to spend no more than, let's say, 749 on anything else you're doing. Having a W-2 job and doing that is pretty hard. Uh, so, you know, quickly realized that qualifying for real estate professional would be pretty hard uh, in my case. When you start, when you qualify as a real estate professional, you get all the same benefits we get with short term uh, with the tax write-offs and cost segregation and being able to shelter your income. Uh, but if you have a primary occupation that's not real estate, then pretty hard to achieve. Gotcha. And I, I see actually a lot of physicians that are trying to achieve that. Um, and there are ways I would refer back to our interview with Brandon Hall, a probably 10, 15 episodes back for more information on that. But just a high level, that's what real estate professional status is and why someone would want to have that. So the other thing that I want to zoom in on what you were talking about earlier is the medium term rentals. So I'm hearing a lot more people talk about doing medium term rentals and almost without fail, every single person that I hear talking about it says, I want to target traveling nurses. I want to target traveling nurses. Well, there's only there, there is a finite amount of traveling nurses in the country. So not mm -hmm. all of us can do that. So you mentioned that you're, you, um, your main source of guests or, or stays or something else. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so my primary source of stays are people who are actually going through a rehab of their property, renovating their property, uh, either because they suffered some sort of loss because of insurance. You know, water leaks are very common in Texas, at least in the area I'm in. You know, most of the houses are getting to like 25 years old, 20, 25 years old. They eventually spring a leak or someone wants to, to refurbish the property. You know, they want to make their kitchen again. Uh, so it takes them, you know, three, six months to get it done. They don't want to live in the property at, the, at that time. Uh, so they actually go out and look for other uh, rental properties where they can rent for three months at a time, stay there while the property is getting fixed up, either from the leak or whatever. Many times this comes from the insurance companies. And what triggered this off for me was the big freeze uh, last year in Dallas. Uh, I had uh, properties at the time um, that were available and, uh, you know, I ended up getting this one tenant from, you know, who'd suffered damage. And I spoke to a relocation company. Insurance companies will outsource this function of relocating you to a temporary accommodation while your property is being fixed up to a specific relocation company. There are third-party relocation companies. They actually go into a portal and they're bidding on, on these relocation gigs with the insurance company. And their job is to find suitable accommodation for that family somewhere else, uh, get it furnished, get the people moved in, move them out when it's time, and get them back into their home. So when I started this last year, uh, I got my first tenant from such a relocation company who then, you know, then I slowly developed the network. And now I have a list of relocation companies who are basically uh, rehoming people who've suffered insurance damage. So when a property is coming available, like, uh, you know, in December, I have one property coming available at the end of December. So you know, about a week from now, I'm going to send them an email to my mailing list and say, hey, this property is available. And, and I know what they're looking for. They're looking to know, for example, is it furnished? Is it unfurnished? Is it 
what sort of uh, hookups does the dryer have? Is it electrical or gas? Um, does it come with any appliances? Can we provide any furnishings? Can we, you know, what else does it come with? So I kind of understood when I spoke with three or four different relocation companies, I came up with the template of what they're looking for. So I make their job a little easier because when I send them availability on a property, I give them all the information, right? Um, so then, you know, they, they reach out and say, okay, thank you for letting us know. They pass it on to their colleagues or their network within their company, typically bigger organizations. And then I get a lead from there and they send someone to take a look at it. The best part about it is, one, these properties are not furnished. I never provide them furnished. The relocation companies have tie-ups with, with the furniture rental places. They furnish the property. They pay the movers, professional movers, to move in and out. This is one of the biggest concerns for people who are doing midterm is, you know, every three months there's, there's people moving in and out and they're going to damage the place. They're going to do something with it, right? The insurance companies pay for furnishing. They pay for uh, professional movers. They also pay me a one-time move-out cleaning fee, right? So I can charge them $500 at the end of the term after three months and say it's for deep cleaning the property in pre preparation for the next guest. So kind of a hybrid between a long-term rental where you don't provide any furnishings and, and a short-term rental where um, you know, you're getting higher cash flow. And so that's kind of why I ended up there. That is very interesting. So that I think that's going to interest a lot of people who are interested in getting into short or medium term rentals, anything other than long term in metro areas, because in metro areas, typically places are not going to come furnished like they are in vacation markets. So that's a really good idea if you're having these people that are moving in and bringing their own furniture or furniture from the furniture store or wherever the the insurance yep. company has a connection. So that's very interesting. How did you, so you just kind of fell into that with the big freeze uh, in, in Texas last year. Correct. So once that happened, if, so if I'm brand new and I, and I'm listening to you talking on this podcast, I'm like, Oh man, that's a great strategy. I'm going to do this in Memphis or, you know, wherever somebody lives. What's the first step. If I want to go find one of these companies and say, hey, here's my place if you need it for when you have uh, insurance people who need it. How do I do that? So I think the first step really is to work backwards from the insurance company. You know, you can actually go to your regular insurance agent, ask them to put you in touch with the adjuster, right? Insurance adjusters, because typically the adjusters need to approve the bid from the relocation company. You can ask the adjuster who are the relocation companies you're working with right? And they will, I think they will provide you the, uh, <clears throat> their contact information so that you can reach out and talk to those guys about an available property. That's the easiest way to do it, in my opinion. So you're having to list these properties on any platform like Airbnb or Furnished Finder or anything like that, or you just go to the directly to, and book directly with the insurance companies? I still list them on Zillow, uh, okay. zillowandapartments.com. And I will put in there saying I'm willing to accept people less than a year. And I typically have a sliding scale. If you're a year, I have a certain amount of rent I'm looking for, which is also at a premium typically. So let's take a, you know, one of my properties that is available at the end of December. Uh, the normal rent for that area, for that house, four bed, two bath, would be about 2350, right? I go online and I'm gonna list it out at 2750 because if someone's going to rent it out for a year and is willing to pay me 500 over what the market is, I might take it, right? I want to keep my options open. At the same time, I email these guys and say, 
if you if you rent it for a year, it is twenty seven fifty. If you rent it for six months to a year, I typically will add a fifty percent premium to it. And if it's less than six months, I'm typically doing you know seventy to eighty percent premium on the rent. So which means so that rental, which is now that that person's house is finally ready, they were paying me. Uh, they are paying me right now on that same property that is twenty seven fifty. I'm actually getting forty nine fifty for that every month. Oh wow! Okay, so. Yeah. On a property that on a typical annual lease would be twenty three fifty, and they're mm-hmm. leasing it from you for three months, what would the rent on that be from you? So I'm charging them four thousand nine fifty. Forty nine. Wow. For them, I bundled in internet, which cost me about eighty dollars a month. <laughs> they wanted me to bundle it in. I charge them one fifty for it. I also bundled in um, yard maintenance. That is literally the smallest yard I've ever seen. They pay one fifty a month for it. My regular, the guy who comes to mow my lawn at my house, he charges me thirty bucks a cut. Goes there twice a month. It's sixty bucks. I make a hundred and oh, I make ninety dollars on it. I also charge them one fifty. Uh, no, two fifty for biweekly cleaning service, housekeeping. Right. Oh. So I send my regular cleaners who who come to my house. They go there and they charge them or they clean the house once every other week, right? That way the property's clean when they leave. Uh, and my cleaners get a little extra money. And I make about, um, you know, $50 on, on top of that as margin. So everything added up as a bundle. So I offer them these things, you know, like a Chinese menu almost. Here's the rent if you go one year. Here's the rent if you go six months to a year. Here's the rent if you go less than six months. I have a minimum of three months on the properties. In addition to that, I can offer you value-added services, bi-weekly housekeeping, uh, yard maintenance, all utilities included. I'll even do that. Um, internet service and, and you know, a couple other little services along pet fees, right? So then if they have, if they have pets, I charge them additional monthly pet fees. And, um, you know, typically cats are more expensive than dogs. So right. you know, the pet <laughs> fees for cats are 300 per month. For dogs are 150 a month. So I kind of do that. Wow. There, that, there's a lot of really good information in there. So you're telling me that a property that if you were running long-term would be $2,350, you are getting $49,50, which is almost yep. like total short-term rental. How much does a property like this cost? So, so that, if you're getting one of these. That particular property cost me 330000 Okay, so three hundred thirty thousand. You're making forty nine fifty a month. That's not bad at all, and no, not, not bad at all. I, I have no complaints. <laughs> uh, you know, the highest I've been able to charge on a different property that I have, which is about thirty two hundred, would be the normal rent. Um, the highest I've been able to charge for that is six thousand seven fifty a month. Wow! And that was a six month contract. My goodness. Okay, and I think also the. Offering the cleaning service service is kind of genius because I always tell people when they ask about, oh, well, short-term rentals are so much more maintenance than long-term rentals. I'm like, no, I don't think so. So my long-terms, like I have, they're doing God knows what in there for two years or five years or however long. And you have no idea. Whereas the short-terms, there's a professional cleaner in there at least two times a week. So you're getting ahead of any potential maintenance problems before they become really big problems that then you're having to do like a full rehab when people move out. So that's really smart. I love that. Yeah. And I have, I have the benefit of having eyes on the property, 
right? Multiple people looking at the property over a month, right? So I've got the cleaners going in every other week. I've got the yard guy going in every other week. So inside, outside, both covered. And I know they're going to pay me many times. I don't even have to spend the money to do that deep clean at the end of the lease, which I charge them 500 for. Many times I don't even need to spend that money because my regular cleaner will go in and clean it out right after they leave for a hundred bucks. Wow. Lots of little income streams there. So, and this is something that's repeatable really in any city in the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the good part about it is now that, you know, I've built this network of relocation companies there many times they're national. So they've got oh. people in different markets, focused on different markets, like a call center almost, right? So they've got a person who manages, you know, for example, Texas, Oklahoma. Then they'll have a person who does the Northeast. They'll have a person who does California. So what will happen is if I have a long-term rental in a different state altogether, I can still send them that exact same email. I can send it to the same people. They maintain a database of the properties and all the terms within their internal systems. Oh, wow. So you can potentially scale to other markets using this same model with the same vendor, the same insurance relocation company. That's exactly crazy. exactly. And, and, <laughs> and the good part about it is uh, um, there's multiple, right? There's only maybe four or five different companies I've dealt with. And almost always when I send an email, even within the market, they may have multiple agents working on it. Right. But it goes in their database and somebody else from their companies, from the same relocation company will call me up and say, I saw your property in our database. Is it available? Right. Now I have their email address as well. So that I add them to my list. The next time they'll be included in that notification when the property is being available. Oh, wow. Well, that's awesome. The other, so are the you... other benefits, some of the benefits of it, the relocation company typically will pay the rent will show up at my doorstep on the first of every month or sooner. So that makes a huge difference. Okay. That was going to be my next question is, so do you have, as far as your lease is concerned and the liability here, is the lease with the relocation company or is it with the individual themselves? Great question. The lease is typically with the individual themselves. We go through the same process. I actually use Zillow for all of this. You can do the full application process on Zillow. The background check, the credit check, everything, we go through the same process. The lease is signed by the actual tenant who's going to be living in the property, but the payments come from the relocation company. So you still get to wet the guests. It's not like they're sending anyone in there. You still get to decline and say, no, this person can't live in my property for whatever reason. But at the same time, uh, your payments are coming on time every time. That's amazing. Okay, this is really, really good stuff. Well, let's switch gears and talk about your vacation rentals. So you own vacation rentals in Broken Bow, the Smokies, and Gulf Shores. Actually, Where? not in the Smokies, Austin. I said Austin. So, oh, Austin, uh, sorry, Bow, sorry. Austin, You've been looking with and... us in the Smokies forever. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to get there eventually. You know, the uh, the market I feel is super hot for me. I'm a little... Uh, it's hot. It's very uh, we got to figure it out. I mean, it, it's, again, I know your team's available and, and waiting to help me out, but it's... Uh, I'm not sure I'm mentally ready to go through that. Hey, I, every time I've got to put in 30 offers, 50,000 over asking and all that, I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready for that yet. I will. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. It's, um, it's definitely competitive, but we'll, we'll slide you in off market here or there and see, <laughs> see if we see if we can get you anything. Okay. So let's talk about, this is also really good. So let's talk about owning in a vacation market versus a metro market like Austin. Are you in Austin? Or are you like right outside in the hill country? 
So we're right outside of Austin in the hill country. It's in a place called Jonestown, which is, uh, they call it the gateway to the hill country. Um, it's close to like Leander and some of the other places there. Um, fairly unknown. It's kind of in between Leander and Lago Vista. Uh, I got a good opportunity there. I'm still waiting for that uh, property to really kickstart because I only bought that. That's my latest property I bought maybe two months ago. And um, the thing that drew me to that property is, one, it's got a view like no other, you know, so you've got, it's a, it's a three units, the, I'll call it the compound, you know, our branding is called Adventure Awaits, so every property is called Adventure Awaits, and that's our Adventure Awaits Hill Country property, it's, it's, on, it's in its own uh, compound, I'll call it, with 10 acres of land. And uh, it's got views like no other, you know, and you can go out. The main house has an infinity pool with a view on, uh, I'll call it hill country and with uh, Lake Travis in the distance, really far, oh, wow. but you can see a little sliver of it. And uh, uh, so the, the main house is two bedroom, two and a half bath that actually can sleep. We've configured it to sleep eight. Uh, it's got its own dedicated office or working space. Uh, we've been considering maybe changing it to bunks or whatever, but we haven't gone there. I think we're going to keep it the office because I think that's an important perk for people going to short-term rentals now in a metro market, close to a metro market. And uh, the second building on that property has two units, a lower casita. We call it the lower casita, which is currently uh, an efficiency. We're, we're working on converting it into a two-bath two uh, because it has a garage that, uh, that's attached and a short-term rental doesn't need a garage. And the upper unit has, uh, it's a two bed, two bed, one bath, and uh, it's got the secret hideout room, which we may, con we may convert to a third bedroom upstairs. So kind of interesting. I kind of felt that it was a good mix of multifamily kind of a situation and short-term rental. So you could have a bigger group that can go there and still spread out and not have to worry about getting in each other's way at the same time. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And let's hear about your Broken Bow places, because I don't think we've had anyone on yet who has owned in Broken Bow. So let's talk about that market as a whole. How do you mm -hmm. feel about that? The market as a whole is super hot. I think in 10 years, I think the timeline is 10 years is going to be like the Smokies. That's my, my instinct tells me in 10 years, it's going to be like the Smokies. Um, there's, I want to say only about 3000 cabins here. Um, a lot of them super luxurious, nice cabins. We don't have the glorious views that you guys have in the Smokies, but the market itself is doing really well. Ton of new construction coming on, tons of development. Even since the time I bought this property earlier this year, I bought my first one in February is when I closed on it. Even between then and now, I've seen a lot of development, a lot of new, um, you know, uh, commercial establishments coming, new restaurants opening. Uh, new things for people to do. You know, there's a big human maze now and all kinds of stuff. So it's it's getting really interesting now. Oh my gosh. I actually did a human maze last weekend uh, for my husband's birthday. Yeah. Uh, we went to like a this big crazy putt-putt place in Panama City Beach and it had a human maze and I did not want to do it because it yeah. just, it triggered my anxiety just looking at it because it was huge and it was going to take forever. And it did exactly that. And Luke quit <laughs> within two minutes. He quit. And um, oh, my gosh, it's like I, I still have anxiety from trying to get out of that thing. That was I yeah, don't it, recommend that. <laughs> it, it's pretty cool because, you know, now there's new things coming up. You know, there's new axe throwing place that came up. There's no miniature golf, by the way. Still, I don't think so. I've never seen one oh, here. Really? 
Yeah, there's there's actually a proper golf course nearby, but there isn't a, a miniature golf. Uh, the human mazes come up. There's a new bowling alley that opened up. So the, I see a lot of development happening, and I think it's going to continue. Like I said, I think 10 years, and it's going to be like the Smokies. Awesome, awesome. It's very competitive there, right, to get a property? Super hard, super hard. Yeah. Um, I'll say uh, most properties go under contract within 48 hours at most. Um, pretty hard to get. Uh, the most... And actually, that's why it's been really hard for me to scale up is because at the price points that I just bought the properties like less than a year ago, right now I'd be spending at least 30% over, maybe 40% over that to buy a similar property. So it's been really hard to get to go and, you know, come to terms with the fact that I have to pay that much more to get into a similar property. But uh, so I have new constructions going on now or we're about to break ground on, on one and, you know, I've got three other lots. So since the time... I sent you guys the message, you know, I've gotten, I've committed to do more lots. So I've got four lots now here as oh, well. Okay. So it's getting interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, I think it's like that everywhere in the country. Now everything is 30% more than, than it was last year. And that's, um, that's crazy, especially in markets like this that are very investor heavy, that yep. it's, as long as those numbers keep working, you know, maybe the margins are a little thinner than they were two years ago, but still yep. it's a better return on investment than you can get. Like Luke and I are looking at uh, long-term multis in the Midwest right now. And those are, you know, the, the margins are a fraction of short terms, even at, at the prices now. So it really still is the best return out there. If of course, you know, you have to buy the right property, not just any old property, but it's, it's crazy out there. Yeah, and I think what's going to happen more and more as we go along in this process, no matter which market you pick in short-term rentals, because of uh, the density of short-term rentals in these markets now, it's all it's going to be about the unique properties. What what property can you buy that's going to make you stand out of the crowd, right? Mm -hmm. Or build. So I think that's where we're headed. It's going to get a lot more competitive, a lot more, and especially what I've seen in Broken Bow, every cabin is uber luxurious, super nice. Uh, we actually just started a, a website called Broken Bow by Owner. Uh, so if you take a look at it, you'll see owner-managed uh, properties. We've only got a, about 32 there now at the moment. Uh, we just started that this week. and But you'll see every property is glorious. I mean, you just look at them and you're like, hey, how, how can I not buy or stay in one of these properties, right? So it's super competitive as well. But it's it's really good. People really enjoy it and are willing to pay a premium to stay here. Awesome. And the, the majority of tourism in that market is coming from where? The big cities in Texas? So you certainly have the big cities in Texas. We're seeing more and more people come from uh, Missouri, from Arkansas, from uh, Louisiana, uh, and from Oklahoma. Now, all the surrounding states, because all these states are only about three and a half, three to four hours away. So a quick weekend getaway is possible. So I'll say a, a four hour radius, generally speaking. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So let's compare that to Gulf Shores, Alabama, where you own your other one. Compare really and contrast those two markets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's hear. So uh, I bought that through you guys, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a, I really enjoy the property. I really like it. It's a beautiful property. But the thing was, because of the competitive market down there as well, uh, what happened is when I put this on a contract, the seller had a condition saying, we're only going to close after the season's over, which meant at the end of August, when I closed on it, the 
first, the property wasn't in shape to be rented out right away, not at least the kind of brand I'm trying to develop for our properties. So I said, I'm not renting it out. I went straight into rehab, which meant even that little shoulder period that I had in September and October was gone, right? Now I'm sitting on a property that is barely cash flowing, and everyone tells me in March, it's going to go bonkers. So I'm waiting for that. So It will, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of where I am with it. Uh, but I, I, I do believe that it is uh, a good investment still, even though it is, uh, it's draining the cash flow a little bit uh, because mm-hmm. of uh, this. But hey, the good thing is I have the broken bow cabins that are kind of feeding it for now. So it's okay. Yeah, yeah. And buying towards the end of the season can be a really good opportunity to get uh, to have at least less competition in buying a property because there are a lot of investors out there. You know, there's tons of people trying to buy in all these places and there are a lot of them out there that can't afford. They don't have the financial bandwidth to carry a property, a beach property through the off season. So it can be a really good opportunity if you have the liquidity to be able to do that. Um, you might be able to get something for a little bit less competition than you just kind of have to hang on until February when the bookings start rolling in for, uh, for spring break. It will yeah, be nice. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, a couple of things that made me want to really go and get this property was the fact that it's pretty hard now uh, to be able to get a, a five-bedroom um, property that is second tier with a good view of the water at a reasonable price point. And, and to me, the location made a huge difference and, you know, an added benefit. So we're in a community there called Morgantown. Uh, Morgantown, it's in Morgantown. Fort Morgan. And, and when I went there to look at it, it wasn't even as nice as it is now. Forget about the property itself, but even the community, a really good community to be in because they, uh, the owners there are very active. Uh, they're working towards, there is an HOA that's doing a lot for the actual neighborhood. Uh, even just the entrance, they've glorified the entrance so nice, uh, put up new signs and new structure in the front. It's just beautiful now. So they're adding value to the overall community while we're adding value to the actual property. So I think it's, uh, in the long run, I think it's a good investment. I love that end of the Gulf Shores market down there in Fort Morgan. It's just quieter. Um, it's it's really great. I don't own one in that market yet, but if I ever do, and it's not that I, it, the other things just keep popping up uh, when I when I keep looking in Gulf Shores, but I love that Fort Morgan area. That'll be where I get something for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, the good thing is uh, <clears throat> Gulf Shores I like, but many times when you're looking to get to the beach, you want to try and get away from stuff. The Gulf Shores beaches have also gotten a little crowded. It's getting really popular. So that's why I kind of like Fort Morgan. It's a little bit of a stretch, maybe a 20-minute drive from uh, Gulf Shores itself, but really nice and calm. You know, we've got beach access literally across the street from me on second tier, a walk across, and it's you're on the beach in under a minute beautiful sand and we're a pet friendly place and we allow pets in our property and the beach is pet friendly as well. So it's, I think a good win-win for everyone. Yeah, totally. Love that area. Um, Let's see. So how are you financing these properties? So at the moment, uh, all these properties, so I bought all seven, these seven that we just spoke about were were acquired in 2021. Uh, Some of them, um, you know, I acquired the first few. I did do a cash out refi on my two cabins in Broken Bow about four months after buying them. And I pretty much pulled out most of my original investment from it uh, while still maintaining 20% equity in the property. So there the values had gone up at least 20 to 25%. So I was able to pull out some cash from it. So that cash, along with some of the other reserves I had, went towards funding all my other properties. 
and uh, buying these lots as well or committing to these lots. Awesome. Well, that's great. So are these all like conventionally financed or what type of loan product are you using? So my four short terms are actually all commercial. Um, My, my long, my midterm ones are all 30 year fixed uh, residential kind of or investment kind of uh, loans. And uh, those are 30 year fixed mortgages. So those I don't intend to touch or take out any equity again, in the interest of trying to balance my portfolio, not get over leveraged. I like to keep 20% equity in any property that I own, whether it is uh, me putting in the original 20% to buy it and then cashing out after it uh, appreciates a little bit or just putting it in and let it, letting it sit. Uh, what I realized is when I went to the commercial lender, the terms aren't as nice, right? So you've got 20-year right. amortization, which means your payment's higher. You've got to have at least my commercial lender wants me to put in at least 20% down, Right. So 20% down, typically a five-year fixed. After that, it's floating. And uh, 20-year arm, uh, sorry, 20-year amortization. So the terms aren't as great, but the the ease of lending is unbelievable. I mean, my last one in Jonestown, I did not have to send them a single piece of paper apart from the (laughs) money. And I was like, that's the best thing ever. That's a luxury. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm in the process of trying to get some construction loans for the new cabins in Broken Bow right now. And the only reason why I have not yet moved on them really aggressively is because I'm dreading this process of having to go and apply for these construction loans again. So it's, uh, I'm hoping it's easier than getting conventional financing because it's a construction loan. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, I've been dragging my feet on that a little bit just because of, you know, I've, I've gotten so used to the commercial lender. The commercial lender will also lend on my new constructions here. So they'll do the construction loan as well. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, because I have to finance the four builds now, uh, whether I should go a different route instead of doing a 20-year amortization or something like that. So I'm, I'm trying to get a little creative with it. So is this a local to Broken Bow commercial lender or Oklahoma City maybe? No, my commercial lender is actually local to Texas. Uh, okay. They're local close by me there. Uh, so, But they know this market really well. Um, and, and so they're willing to work with us on it. What we found is it's very hard to appraise properties in Broken Bow because uh, especially when you have lenders from outside, it's pretty difficult to finance these and appraise them. In fact, my very first cabin, I almost didn't get the deal uh, because my uh, appraisal came in almost 150000 maybe 120000 lower than what my purchase price was. So I quickly had to pivot to a different lender who immediately looked at it and said, that's not right because I, I closed, he closed on a, on a smaller cabin in the in Broken Bow for the same price that it appraised, that the bigger one appraised for. So he's like, no, that's not, that's not real. Uh, and he managed to keep the date for me and close in three weeks. And actually I'm oh. glad that worked out because that kind of led all these other things to happen along the way. So awesome. lending is a big part of it. Uh, having the right lenders in place for the market is absolutely critical, especially uh, making sure they have the connections and, and are, are giving the work to the right appraisers. Yeah, it is very, very important that in any market that you're buying in, that you use a lender that does deals in that market of the same asset class that you're buying 
often because a a lot of people, you know, they get like a targeted ad from like a Quicken or Rocket Mortgage and they're like, oh, wow, look at this interest rate. This is great. But they're just getting assigned a random loan officer who's like in Kansas City and you're trying to buy something in Destin, Florida, and they've never done a deal like that. Uh, and they've never done a deal in that market, it really, really makes things difficult, especially the way that appraisals are going right now, because the appraisers are really um, kind of prioritizing, not officially prioritizing, but the lenders that they know, that they see that name all the time. So you really want to make sure that you're, you ask the right questions when you're shopping for lenders and say, hey, how often do you do deals in this market? And uh, because, I mean, I had to take my own medicine about that recently for the exact same reason that you just said. So I was buying something in Mississippi close to where my parents live, and I didn't want to have to send all my docs to a new lender. So I used my commercial Florida Mm -hmm. lender who has all my stuff and they close everything. They're amazing. Just like you said, it's like really easy with commercial. And I just did not want to send a million pieces of paper to a new lender. And they said, oh, this will be our first Mississippi deal. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, this might be. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. And then what happened was we ended up with an appraiser from three counties over who in 2021 used comps from that sold in 2018, which the market was <laughs> 1 million percent different than. So it was just a mess. It, it appraised for 17 under, which could have been worse. So I just ate the 17,000, but it was a $17,000 uh, learning experience, which I knew because I tell people all the time not to do that, but I was lazy is what happened. I was yeah. Lazy. And I think, you know, the big thing is I, I, I hear a lot of people talk about um, rates, interest rates, interest rates, interest rates. And I'm like, do the math 3.5 versus four. It's not going to kill you. Even over a period, if you're going to hold this property for five or 10 years, it's not going to kill you. Getting the deal done, getting the property cash flowing is what's more important. If you get a good lender and, and you get a good partner in that lender, it can change your entire trajectory of what you're trying to build. And, and I, I think you know a lot of people have, have a hard time looking at those numbers on paper and saying, yeah, it's okay, I'll pay half a percent more. My commercial lender, for example, She'll do a deal for me every all day long at 4.25%, right? And, and it's kind of a given. It's not like it changes too much. That's what they're looking for. They're a portfolio lender. They hold the mortgage in-house. They don't really have to follow any other guidelines or whatever because they're not packaging it up and selling it. So much easier for them to do this. And, uh, and they actually take the, uh, make the effort to know me as a person and what my investments look like before they make a decision. So that makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, it does. Always interview your lenders, and it's definitely a um, a relationship game, long term yep. relationship game. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we're coming to the last three questions of the show that I ask everyone. The first one is: Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give twenty year old Karan? <sighs> Don't let anyone talk you out of what you strongly believe. So this comes from me trying to buy my first short-term rental in, my, in the market I still want to buy so bad, which is 30A. <laughs> I had a property on a contract at 975 back then. Um, my CPA at the time talked me out of it. Uh, the, the seller was being painful to deal with, super hard to deal with. My lenders weren't that great. Finally got to closing and... and um, it was kind of the last straw. The seller got hard on me the next day because I traveled a lot for work. I was flying to Belgium the next morning. And he said, now that we're clear to close, you need to come within 48 hours and close it. If not, I'm going to call it breach of contract. 
I said, hey, listen, I need to go earn a living so I can pay for this house. And I got to get on an airplane tomorrow morning. And um, he disagreed. And so I told him, okay, you know, you can go pound sand because everybody had spent, I spent all summer going through it and everyone, you know, made it sound like it's, it was like not such a good decision. My gut feeling told me it was a great decision. I should have done it. But because I was finally frustrated with everything that was happening, I kind of walked away from the deal. That property sold about a year later for a little lower and then resold again this year for $1.6 Oh, my goodness. So don't let anyone talk you out of what you know or feel is, is the right decision. Your gut feeling. Go with it. If you feel it's the right decision, go for it. Don't, don't waver. Great, great advice. And along those same lines, what advice would you give a new investor who is getting started today? The only way to learn something is to do it. And there's only two outcomes you're going to have. Either you're going to win or you're going to learn. Pretty straightforward. There's no loss to be had. So go get it done. The first one, and I always tell people, um, the first one you do, you're going to come back within 90 days and say, I want to go get my second one. So be prepared for that and just go do it. That is true. Once you get successful at real estate investing, or even when you're just barely successful, it's you catch the bug very quickly. Yep. Yep. Hey, uh, I ended up with seven this year. So, <laughs> so you did too. all right. So last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? So the biggest thing for me, the, the book that I love the most is who, not how, which Great is one. don't try to figure out how to do everything. Get your team in the right place, figure out who can help you achieve your goals, find the right people and go get it. You know, so that to me has been a huge difference. Um, you know, everyone talks about networking in real estate. I, you know, it's, it's a very loosely used term, but to me, it's more about building the relationships and find who are those people and that team that you can get on your side to, to get you to that goal and be willing to give back some as well at the same time. Great advice. I absolutely hate the word networking. It, it makes me cringe when people say I'm going to go network. It just I don't sounds even know so what that like means, to be honest with you. Yeah. It just sounds so fake and like, Uzi and douchey just say like yeah. i'm gonna go meet some people and see if i can make some things happen yeah. networking sounds like you're scamming or so i don't know i just don't yeah. like it it's a douchey word yeah so anyway well thank you so much karan for coming on lots and lots of great information here i think a lot of the listeners are going to learn a lot from this episode and again thank you so much for your time and we will catch you next time thank you looking forward to it